into my heart and saw the darkness a deep and ancient chill within my bones ever since the envy that spilled brother's blood we're all dying to throw stones mama I'm having those bad dreams again where the wicked don't pay for what they do and mama the evil dwells in hearts of men no peace or justice under the sun welcome to another episode of religionless church Today's episode features Jason Chestnut. Jason is a filmmaker and an avid Twitter user and a sort of curator of a online faith community called Slatespeak. So Jason and I go all in on kind of this form of online digital faith community and uh, kind of the way that that uh, may be the way that people express their faith in in the future. So we kind of dive deep into that. We also have featured on this episode throughout the episode is my friend Ben Grace's music. Ben is a wonderful musician. He is just so talented. And so I'm really excited for you to be able to listen to his just swanky good tunes that are actually... I've like pretty brand new like they just recently have come out so i'm really excited for you to be able to listen to his stuff so both jason and ben grace's work is all in the descriptions so you can check out the links below and uh, check out more of their work also be sure to check out my work Uh, i've got some papers and articles online and now i just recently announced that i have a patreon page so you can support my work financially So definitely get connected on there. All you have to do is go on my website and then there's a little support tab at the top. Just click on that and it'll take you right to it. And then you'll be able to see all the different rewards that you will receive if you become a patron. So I really hope that you certainly do. So what do you say? Are you ready for another episode of Religionless Church? I had a wonderful time interviewing Jason. So I'm really stoked for you all to listen in. So without further ado, here's Religionless Church. Father of six in New York City Selling cigarettes out in the street Dying in daylight for all of us to see I can't breathe, I can't breathe I can't breathe, I can't I can't breathe Mama, I'm having those bad dreams again Where the wicked don't pay for what they do And Mama, evil dwells in hearts of men No peace of justice under the sun No peace of justice under the sun Today we have Jason Chestnut. I have to be really careful when I say that, right? Because there's not a T in the middle. Yeah, but actually, if you think about it, it's uh, it's much more uh, phonetic to not... So everybody pronounces it Chestnut. Right. Like... Like my name is spelled the way people say it. Right. Nobody says chestnut. That's true. That's true. Right. So really, it just that. means that like my name is spelled correctly and everybody else is spelled wrong. <laughs> Perfect. It's always great to be the one that's right, right? <laughs> right. I thought about going French. Like it's technically it's a French Huguenot name from way back when. So I wanted to go like Colbert with it. It'd be like oh, Chez yeah, yeah. New, but I can't say Chez New and keep a straight face. So I just don't do it. <laughs> Perfect. So. So Jason here is a filmmaker, a pastor, um, 
uh, what are some other like labels maybe you describe yourself as maybe organizer um, maybe is that is that one that yeah um yeah I, i'd say uh organizer um kind of online content creator uh biblical right. storyteller um uh teacher uh preacher you've got wandering wandering what is it poor way poor wayfaring stranger something like that <laughs> something like that and and a, and a jesus follower so and jesus you, follower, right? you've got all these labels that uh that you identify with uh so i'm really curious then who is jason chestnut to jason chestnut <laughs> oh mason way to go all right you have to start out with that one right that's good Oh, I just I just realized uh, your name rhymes with my name. I just got that now. Oh yeah, yeah. I get um, anytime I like tell somebody my name and they don't like hear it quite clearly. The automatic assumption is Jason, which is you know right fine. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, I think uh, let's see. I would say that. I mean, t- to me, I mean, I think it's it's part of that thing is like the is the. Uh, the imposter syndrome like i think i'm an imposter right so oh yeah um what am i doing do i do i really know what's happening do you know i feel like i'm kind of just fumbling around in the dark um and just trying to create stuff that matters um and a lot of times i don't know if it does right we're kind of screaming into the void right. so i would think i mean i would say probably um i mean i would go really theological slash corny and say i i know that i'm a child of god so i'll say okay. that okay we'll go with it um, and i also know that um can we do you swear on these podcasts yes you are more than welcomed thank god okay um i'm also like a holy glorious fuck up okay um, yep who's trying really hard to follow jesus but mostly it scares the shit out of me mm-hmm. so yeah, that's what I would say. Like, I like that. Yeah, I, l- I like the edginess of that. <laughs> uh, thanks. I mean, it's, you know, it's very I, like punk rock almost. Ooh, punk rock, man. That's uh, that's bringing it back. I don't know how old, <laughs> you are, but I'll go. It, it's a little Nirvana-ish. Um, yeah, I would say too that um, I just can't not. I can't not create. And a lot of times create is creation is hard, right? Right. We create a lot of shit and it doesn't really work. Um, we mess up. And then sometimes we create something beautiful and it connects with people. So I, I think first and foremost, like I, I, I consider I, I'm definitely, uh, I connect a lot with process theology, which kind of sees mm-hmm. God as a, a co-creator. Right. Um, and so I think when God created human humanity um, in the Genesis story, uh, uh, God created us to be creators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I if for those that know me well, like you know that I, I I'm a I'm a big fan of process. Uh, mm. You know, there's there's people on the like the kind of theology Twitter that are are not uh, quite as keen on process, but I'm really I'm really compelled yeah. by process. You kind of curate in ways a community called slate speak uh and yeah i just really want to talk a lot about slate speak i'm really fascinated by what you all are doing there so to kind of this is fascinating yeah to to kind of get a general understanding of it i think maybe some of the history would be really great to understand so how how did slate speak form so it come it it comes out of the Slate Project, which is an online and face-to-face community, uh, worship, you know, a, a Christian worshiping community that I started in 2013. Okay. Um, and so the idea behind the Slate Project was like, what if we could start Christianity with a blank slate? Um, my cat is going crazy right now. <laughs> um, what if we could start Christianity with a blank slate? Like, what what things would we keep? What things would we would we um, how would we sort of curate a 21st century Christianity um, within the radical kind of ancient beginnings of first century, the Jesus, the Jesus movement. Right. Um, So I started that in 2013 and we just like, I I would do weekly videos. I 
Um, we create content. We, we sometimes it's images, graphic design. Um, it's a lot of different things. And one of the things I wanted to do was um, kind of connect with an online community in a way that could foster a, a safe space, specifically for progressive Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't say liberal Christianity because I don't think liberal and conservative is helpful when we're talking about um, like following Jesus. Right. I do think there's like evangelical fundamentalism and then there's like this kind of progressive and we're still trying to figure out what that means. Right. Um, but so my colleague uh, who was with me um, uh, near the beginning, her name is Sarah uh, Schisler Goff and she's an Episcopalian priest. Now she is a chaplain out in Maui. Life is rough. Yeah, um, no at kidding. the time, at the time she, uh, she came up with this idea of like doing a Bible study on Twitter um, and that we'd have like an hour long conversation. Hmm. Um, and so that's how we, that's kind of how we started. And, you know, you just kind of putting it out there and seeing who's going to, who's going to connect. Um, that didn't really go like, it was kind of difficult to get everybody kind of reading the same book. And so then, then right. we just thought, well, let's just cut the book out. I was like, let's just, let's cut the book out. Let's get a, a good hashtag that nobody else is using um, and just like have conversations. And I, I was really, um, I've always been inspired by, there was this um, five year long chat called Church and Social Media. So it was C-H-S-O-C-M, Chisakam. And Meredith Gould, who is an author and, and uh, just general badass in Baltimore, she created that. And I, that's how I connected with her and with a okay. lot of people in Baltimore was just being part of this which was just kind of talking about what does it mean to be in the church and on social media. And every week there'd be a different uh, moderator and come up with different topics. So I was inspired by that. And so we're just like, okay, we'll do it Thursday nights and we'll just talk specifically about things that maybe you wouldn't hear in a church in a worshiping community. Maybe you wouldn't hear it from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you don't feel comfortable saying it. And specifically, can this be a place for people who don't feel comfortable going into a church anymore, maybe. Maybe maybe they never have. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they kind of grew up in it, but they've been hurt or abused or turned off or whatever, judged. Um, so could this be a space for that? So that was, that was kind of the genesis of it. Um, and then like any other thing online, right? Um, I, I mean, I'm a big believer in it's got to be creative and it's got to be consistent. Right. So people have to be looking for it every week. Um, and it has to be something that's worth their time. That was kind of the genesis of it. You bring the best of us to our needs. What was the lack that you sensed that you were hoping or are hoping Slate speak to Phil? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's twofold. Um, I wanted it to be a progressive space for people to debate and talk and consider what does it mean to follow Jesus in the 21st century? Mm. Um, and my critique of a lot of progressive Christian spaces is they're almost overwhelmingly white. Right. So I also wanted it to be like legitimately diverse. Um, and so those are the two. So I, I, felt, I, I felt like that was a space to fill. Right. So right away, um, uh, like it was mostly just me uh, moderating. My two co-pastors in the Baltimore area would moderate every once in a while. And I was like, we just have to start farming this out, like get other people to take ownership of it. And so like the first five people I connected with and asked them to moderate were all people of color. Okay. Um, three black women, one black man, and one um, Latina woman. and. Um, and so then once they started uh, kind of getting into it and talking about it and, and considering it and then moderating it, then they were bringing their people, right? right. Their, their connections, their, um, you know, their different um, spheres of influence. And so almost right away, I'd say within six months, um, we had uh, a legitimate community that was... Um, well, it was a progressive community that was legitimately diverse. So it, we didn't have like a token 
um, black woman to moderate every month right. or it was like, no, this is, this is for real. Um, and so I think that was, so what I would say about slave speak is I think it's the, it's the only community I know of, um, that is both really progressive slash radical slash like out there. I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the shit that we talk about is, is I think very like cutting edge. Right. And it's also a very legitimately diverse um, space that is seeking to create kind of like a, what Dr. Kane would call the beloved community mm -hmm. or Isaiah's peaceable kingdom. I mean, we don't have like lions and lambs on Twitter, but like, you know, if, if we could, then, then we would, I mean, like it's open to everybody. And, and, and you know, you know how it is like on Twitter. I mean, the, I think the amazing thing about Twitter is that it's happening very publicly. Mm -hmm. So it's there. Um, and it's, it happens a lot. And, and especially on Thursday nights, um, we'll start, start it going. And from nine to 10 Eastern, um, it will often be trending at least on some, you know, in some regions. Yep. And like, so people are seeing it happen. And it's also a very kind of safe space for people to really be themselves and to bring their doubts and their questions and all that. But it's so public, right? Mm -hmm. That it's like, I would say it's, I mean, that's different. That's a difference for me between witness and presence. I'm not that interested in being like a witness because I, I kind of, I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian household and witness meant, you know, you got to right. get people. Yep to believe or to give their hearts to Jesus, something he never asked for anyways. I mean, that's what, that's what, that's what that's about. And if they, if they denied you or if they got angry at you, that's even better, right? That just means that you're, you're <laughs> right. You're being, you know, so, um, but a presence, like to be a Christian presence on Twitter that is not demonizing people, um, that's talking about sin, beyond just the individual and to systemic and corporate and communal ways mm -hmm. that, that we participate in sin um, and asking questions and being like, what does the resurrection mean? Does it, does it even matter? What, what does it mean to be part of a, a Christian heritage that's been violent, that has upheld white supremacy, all of that? Right. Um, so it's sort of like, I think, uh, I think it's very... I'm very proud to be a part of what we have now because I think it's, it's continually, it's, it, it's not content to just say, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that's it, or whatever, right? right? It's not content with that. You make it hard for us to call you home. So you mentioned uh, right away that Slate Speak is a part of a larger project um, called the Slate Project. And I was digging around and I saw that there's also these in the flesh gatherings. These kind of, I, I think, is it, they, are they called like ITF gatherings? Yeah, like, yeah. Do you, I, do you really go with that, that acronym? Yeah, ITF. I mean, just because IRL, I don't like IRL because it, 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 in real life is saying that Twitter isn't real life. Right. And like Twitter's real life. Um, it wasn't IRL like wasn't that like a MTV show for a while or like a VH1? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wasn't yeah. Wasn't there one like called like that or something like that? I think so. I wasn't really into MTV. I don't, so I don't know. know. I think that was been like right of world. Yeah, that would have been before my time. Anyway, <laughs> so but no, no, no. So it's 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 we say ITF, and that's another thing that we did. We brought um, so we had three. Uh, we had three guests. Um, we had three, uh, you know, what's the word? Featured speakers. Mm -hmm. um, we brought them to Baltimore, and we had people from D.C. and Philadelphia and and uh, and Baltimore itself, and then from other um, cities and states. We had a guy come in from South Africa mm. um, to Baltimore to to be a part of it, and we had a. Uh, um, tribal daughter. I'll just give you their their Twitter names because that's that's important. That's kind of how I know them. Uh, so tribal daughter and Sunny Day Jones and Brandy Nico were the three, um, you know, speakers. And so they they each kind of brought their own passions, and we got them to Baltimore, and 
I think it was, and that was kind of cool because it kind of showed, hey, uh, what's happening in Twitter is, is real life. Right. And we'll prove it to you because um, we're going to spend some of our money to make sure that we get us all in the same room. Hmm. And, which was cool. And, and what do those gatherings look like? Well, you only have one. Okay. And um, it's sort of like, I mean, we all, we all gathered together and we kind of had introductions. Uh, we had like a live Twitter feed going on. We had each of our presenters over the course of, it was like from a Friday night to Saturday afternoon. So pretty short. Mm -hmm. um, and we just had opportunities, honestly, to hear kind of what, what the, what, what our speakers were interested in and engaging in. We, we, uh, you know, we live streamed all of it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just kind of, and then, you know, we prayed, we ate together, we worshiped together. Um, it was cool. It was, it was very simple. Hmm. Like and that. you know, there are people who have said, uh, who continue to say, I, I, I screenshot a lot of this. Um, a lot of these comments, right. Put them in folders. Mm -hmm. I have two folders, lovers and haters. I don't, <laughs> I'm trying to, not to spend too much time with the haters, but that's also interesting. Um, <laughs> but you know, with the lovers, uh, uh, there are people who will say, and who have said like, um, slate speak is my church. It's my mm -hmm. church community. They look forward to it on Thursdays. Um, they miss it if they can't. I mean, they, they, if they miss it, they actually miss it. Right. Right. Um, and there are many of them who don't feel comfortable or safe uh, in their sexual orientation and their gender identity and their race and their sex, any of it, to be a part of a traditional worshiping community. They haven't found that mm -hmm. in the flesh. And so Slate Speak is that for them. Mm. That's Which I think is like, fucking amazing. What, what have been some of your challenges in forming a church community online versus something that would have been in the flesh? Which, you know, typical, like, yeah, traditional yeah. way of doing it, right? Yeah, I mean... You know, first off, it's just it's just the organiz the the institutional backlash. So I'm part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Mm -hmm. You're in you're in ELCA country. Yeah, um, for sure. Headquarters. And, uh, yeah, and um, so there's institutional backlash because what happens online isn't real to a lot of uh, mm. a lot of you know my bishop. Uh, I shouldn't say my my bishop's very supportive. Um, but I would say like there are a lot of people in the institution of the ELCA that. You know, and other other denominations, right? That what's ha what happens online isn't real to them. Right. We're playing around on Facebook. We're scrolling through Twitter. That's not that's not real mm. to them. So I think it's a constant thing to be like. I talk about you know I when I preach uh, when I I'm a supply preacher pretty often, and I'll just throw this up and say this is a 21st century printing press, and I say it specifically to Lutheran audiences because for Lutherans we know that Martin Luther could not have sparked the Reformation in right. the 16th century without the social media of the day, which was the printing press, right? Right. So I say oh, that. Oh, that really gets say, right at their hearts, doesn't it? Right, right. Well, uh, yeah, you got to know your audience. Right? <laughs> you, and, you really know them. And then I say, I, I'm sure that there are people in Martin Luther's day who when they were handed a scroll or something that had been printed and not handwritten, mm -hmm. I'm sure there are people who are saying, I don't trust it. Mm. Like this newfangled technology, wow. unless I unless I know that somebody wrote it down, how do I know this isn't fake? Like this is right. not real. Um, so we always have that kind of pushback um, to new technologies, and so I think that's a constant thing um, that I'm always that I think creating online communities, you always have to be defending that. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I think um, so. That's been one of the challenges. Another challenge is just sort of the nature of online communities. Um, they're very transient. Right. People people can be part of it for a while and then they kind of move on or they connect somewhere else or they just don't give their time anymore. Um, we have a phenomenal uh, woman uh, who's actually, uh, she'll be moderating this coming Thursday. Um, uh, and she first connected with us when she was in Germany and she didn't have any community in Germany. She had moved there and was working and had no community. And she would wake up at 
whatever that was, two or three in the morning. Yeah, what? Yeah. And put on coffee and put on coffee and popcorn and join us. Right. Wow. That's real. And then we have another person in Seattle um, who is homebound, uh, who's, uh, you know, physically she really can't get around. So this is something that she can do and that she can be a part of mm-hmm. and that she doesn't have to feel like, I mean, we have, you know, there are people on the, the autism spectrum who just don't feel as comfortable in the flesh or are mm-hmm. not able to express themselves the way they can online. Um, I'm going back to the positives again. I, I'm, I'm twisting your, what are the challenges? And I'm giving you even more amazing stuff. <laughs> it's totally um, fine. No, but I think, I don't mean to be a politician about it. I, I, I do think that, um, you know, and then there's always the challenge of um, how do we make this real and relevant? Um, how do we not burn ourselves out? Mm. Um, and just the nature of the game, right? We don't, we don't have a building. We're not taking an offering. We're not self-sustaining in the way that uh, a lot of times uh, mission starts are supposed to be. Right. Our, you know, church plants, whatever the word is. So I think those are some of the struggles. Broken dreams Inspiring my melodies You bring the So the idea behind Slate Speak is to imagine a church with a clean slate. So what are those things that you're cleaning off that slate? Mm, racism, sexism, uh, transphobia, the patriarchy, um, the, the, um, the white American Christian narrative mm. of kind of baptizing policies of war and discrimination. Um, I think we're, we're cleaning off, uh, we're wiping away a lot of the shit that has just kind of come up from, it's nobody's fault, but just says, sort of calcified within the pews that a lot of our churches have just turned into glorified country clubs with or without communion, depending on your tradition. Right. Um, so we're like, okay, let's, let's, let's clean up, let's clean all that off. Um, everything that goes against the, 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 um, the kingdom of God, or as one of my, um, college professors translates it, uh, it's the empire that God brings. And I like mm. the way that, because that, that, that to me is more, it, it has more of a movement to, aspect to it and that mm. it's over and above. It's, 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 it stands diametrically opposed to the empires that we have today. Right. Which Jesus was doing. But when we say kingdom of God, it can just kind of sound like this nice thing. Right. Um, and so a lot of times I'll say like, Jesus was calling us to pledge allegiance to his movement. Right. Right. Um, it's diamet- diametrically opposed to the forces of, of, um, domination and, and, and oppression that are today, which a lot of it comes out of our own, our own country. So, um, that's some of the stuff that, and the thing is, the thing about slate, and this kind of goes deep into this like metaphor. Okay. Uh, so slate is an anamorphic class of rock that is very easy to indent. Like, Hmm. so there's a lot of uh, houses in Baltimore that have slate rooftops. Um, and over time, like it's not just a smooth surface. There's there, there's like indentations and there's there's like these malleable pieces of it. Huh. And so you can't wipe the slate completely clean. There's some aspects of it that will always be there. Interesting. Um, and I don't think that's bad uh, at all. Uh, but you know, like some of those aspects are, I would say, like uh, the rich history of of icon iconography within the Eastern yeah. tradition. Um. And just the kind of the canon that we have, the 66 books or the 66 plus books that we have that form the Holy Bible, um, like those, like we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater sort of thing, right? Um, there's there are things that are always be there, um, right? But then there are things that are that are deeply connected to that, like the right now as we enter into Holy Week, this you know centuries long anti-Semitic thread. Mm-hmm. Which my tradition, I mean, Martin Luther was a was a a, a very virulent anti-Semite, and the Nazis used many of his writings to kind of form their Third Reich. So it's 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 recognizing a lot of that and saying, um, 
you know, we have to look at Christianity with a very critical eye. Right. Um, we're going to hear a lot of passion narratives, a lot of um, very powerful stories for those of us who are Christian this week. And a lot of those are just saying full on, the Jews killed Jesus. Right. right. Without recognizing that everybody in the story is a Jew except mm -hmm. for the Romans and that the Romans are the ones who killed Jesus. They had the power to do that. Right. Um, and that really what most of the gospel writers are talking about are the religious authorities. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even say Jews anymore. I just say religious authorities because that's what we're talking about. Exactly. Um, so they're, they're, I, 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 I've strayed away from your question, but those are. No, that's, that's, a, that's a, some that, of it. I, I, I really appreciate the, the uh, geography lesson first off. That was, I did not know that about Slate. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Right? <laughs> so interesting. I knew that like Slate is often used in like pools, uh, like uh, billiards or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like yeah. underneath that felt or whatever. Um, but yeah, like that, that's so fascinating that, uh, that it's impossible to like technically like run it down smooth. Um, but yeah, there especially always will that, be, there will yeah. always be like those little indentations that, um, that are so uh, rooted in, into that, that uh, piece of slate that uh, yeah. there's, there's no way getting uh, rid of that. And uh, I, I, would like, I would like to think that those things are the, actually the things that are worth uh, holding on keeping. to and worth keeping in. Amen. City that's terrified And always gentrified so we have Ben Grace here today with us, and Ben's music has been playing throughout the episode, and it's just been delightful. And uh, Ben, I'm kind of wondering, uh, for the very first question, what inspired some of these new tunes that you've been writing? And by the way, your like, promoting of it has been outstanding. Some of those shots that you got are unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks so much. They're so yeah. great. Yeah, I actually worked with a photographer uh, here in New York who was a dancer, um, and they got me to do some just incredible things. That, like, I'm not a dancer at all, if you mm -hmm. know me, and those people who know me go, like, I'm very uncomfortable in my body. I love all the other art, but dance form, whilst <laughs> I appreciate it, is not something I'm actually personally uh, good at. Um, but they got me to do some incredible things that at the time were felt so awkward, and then the photos afterwards were just something else. Like, oh, just they were really, so great. yeah, really amazing. So, so Effie Gray is the name. Oh, wonderful. So what, what are some of the inspirations behind some of, uh, some of these new tunes? What, what was the impulse that um, kind of drove, uh, drove you as you were writing them? Yeah, well, a lot of, you know, I live in New York City. I'm an Australian, in case you can't tell by now. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, been here six and a half years, and a lot of my work here has been really I think since we arrived here, a few months after we arrived, was the, the Newtown, Connecticut shooting. Um, and mm -hmm. so much just news, you know, so day after day in New York has kind of just been inundated with so much stuff from gun violence through to, uh, you know, just police brutality and, and kind of the, the black and brown lives that just don't seem to kind of matter in the big scheme of America. And I think a lot of that weighed heavily on me as someone of faith who, you know, it's just wrestling with how do we actually do this um, in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that was very much inspired by events. Um, New York Lullaby uh, was, I've been trying to write a lullaby for about 10 years. Oh, and that's uh, great. and uh, as a musician, I have no business, you know, writing a lullaby because I work at night, obviously, and I'm a night owl. <laughs> and I, and I, I don't have any kids, so I don't really know who to like sing it to. Um, but I trying to write a lullaby, and one day my wife was like, "Well, if you're gonna write a city for the a song for the city that never sleeps, like when does the city dream?" And I'm like, "Well, that's incredible. You know, maybe yeah. I should write that as a lullaby." What a, um, what a so, great question to prompt you. Yeah, that's right, and that's the kind of the last line of the song, and so she kind of nailed that, and that was when I kind of realized, well, I already had a melody, and just kind of started writing lyrics about just uh, how hard it is to to live in New York, and how much you love it, and how much you hate it mm -hmm. at the same time, and just kind of that you know, that line right down the middle, uh, which I think often the New York songs are like, you know, New York's great. You know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And New York, right. New York, you got to be a part of it. But not seeing that underside, that under underbelly of, you know, gentrification that comes through this town, that, that means right. that people are being pushed out of their homes and, and uh, people honestly like me, you know, <laughs> kind of white people coming in and, and sort of taking up residence. And I think, you know, 
that maintaining that tension as you live here in New York as someone mm-hmm. who wants to see the world be a better place to kind of understand our place that you know there are there are a large I think even the majority I don't know the figure off the top of my head but I think it's somewhere around 60% of New York lives you know around or below the poverty line and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of astonishing you know when hurricane sandy hit the city back in 2012 uh, when the church I'm a part of was really really young um Wall Street did fine. It bounced back, you know. Of course, it got it up and uh, yeah, it came. It came, you know, got up and running pretty quickly. But there's still places in the outer boroughs of Brooklyn and, and Queens that are still struggling to put their lives back together. And that was, you know, uh, six years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. that's 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 kind of stuff that I think breaks my heart. And trying to wanted to write from that experience and write from uh, from a place that is just an honest, authentic kind of response to you know current day things that we're kind yeah. of wrestling with and thinking about. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, in terms of sonically, how do you think that that theme uh, was able to play out uh, sonically, like through the like instrumentation? Like, were you able to somehow capture that same theme, or were you maybe going for a, a sort of different theme and vibe with the way the actual instrumentation sounds? Yeah, well, Lullaby has been around for quite a few years as a song, um, and it's taken on various forms. But mm-hmm. when it came time to to bring it into the studio, I, I kind of really wanted it to have that delicacy. Um, and and the, the track opens with a pedal steel, and, and sort of you know, as an Australian making Americana music, which is <laughs> which is an odd kind of idea. Right. Uh, to me, I, I never thought I would actually make music that sounded like this, but I'm really glad I am because I kind of feel like it kind of really takes on kind of the ache. Um, that you sort of get from that Americana or that kind of rural country or that mm. something I think mm. that we associate more with with kind of, you know, the, the America, the land, the, the sweeping hills and all the rest of that thing right. that kind of country talks about, but bringing that into the city and bringing that sense of the pastoral into the urban, um, I think is kind of a fascination for me. And then, mm. you know, just little bits and pieces, you know, just interesting instruments that you find laying around a studio, uh, like a marxophone, which I've been <laughs> wanting to record with for a long time, kind of makes a little play out there but yeah i think that new york lullaby for sure was very much about trying to create a lullaby something that when you turn it on instantly your your brain goes oh that's a lullaby it's a sweet thing and then the lyrics kind of provide that sort of jarring right. um, sort of counterpoint to that mm-hmm. how, how do you see how do you see it uh in context to the rest of your work uh obviously like this is just like an isolated piece but how do you see that maybe uh, contributing to the rest of your work uh, that, that you've done uh, uh, in your musical career? Yeah, I mean, so this is a real, it's a change of direction for me, okay. um, for sure. Uh, for a long time as a writer, I've been writing with other people and I've been writing in bands and I started a, a power pop band back in Australia, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the early 2000s. And, uh, and I've done a lot of different things, but primarily in, in sort of a pop genre. But I think what draws me to kind of create now, I think, is an honest storytelling um, mm. that I think we need we need to tell better stories. And and I think uh, one of our mutual friends, uh, Brian McLaren, was talking mm-hmm. about in the in the current environment that we're actually in, uh, as people of faith or just as artists, that the power of the story or, or fiction is is kind of a really powerful thing. Yeah, that it can it can get behind all the rhetoric and behind all the Facebook argu- Facebook arguments that we find ourselves in. Uh, to kind of just get to the heart of something, you know, when you tell a story, uh, like, you know, a lot of my songs, which are yet to be released and coming out. And I, I think I'll give you a live version of Mama. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can hear that as well uh, on this podcast. But a lot of the songs are kind of around these horrific stories of Eric Garner and uh, Tamir Rice. And, mm-hmm. you know, not to just see them as names or as, as political uh, you know, hashtags that people can dismiss, but really see this, the lives and the stories and the, the ache that's left behind when these people, these sons and daughters and fathers and husbands and wives and, you know, and co-workers, uh, where that space is empty, where there once was life, you know. Right. I think that's, that's really kind of what I think I want to try and do with my work moving forward um, is, is find these stories below the stories and, and let, let the emotions and the feelings of all these things bubble to the surface for people. Yeah, I love that. Uh, in terms of like future uh, projects, are you are you hoping to like go on tour soon? Um, are you hoping to kind of release this in a whole album? What 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 are kind of future projects looking like? 
Yeah, the dream for me right now is to release one song a month. Um, okay. So New York, New York Lullaby is my release for, for March, and I have a song called Colorado, which I recorded in Nashville, um, that will be uh, released hopefully in April. And then I have a whole bunch of other songs like ready to go as well. Uh, and hopefully one, awesome. one a month, um, kind of I'm going to be on Patreon, so the people who kind of want to get on board and really kind of support mm-hmm. that work uh, can find that. Um, and then, the, the, yes, yeah, so I'll be out on in a tour with hopefully Heather Lynn uh, oh, in yeah. end of May and June. That's another mutual friend of ours. Uh, hopefully touring through the Midwest, uh, starting up in, in Minneapolis where you are and mm-hmm. and kind of working our way down through Chicago and then maybe all the way back to Denver is kind of the, the loose plan at this stage, but we're put, still putting teeth on that. But uh, if anyone's listening who wants to, to jump on board and have us host us, you know, we'd love love to hear from you. Yeah. And then uh, my good friend, uh, Paul Diemer, who I think you might also know as well, from Texas, mm. uh, where yeah. hopefully being at, at Wild Goose Festival and, and going to uh, play there and collaborate and then tour uh, back from Asheville, North Carolina, back down to Texas oh, uh, in July. So, cool. so, yeah, lots of great things going on. Uh, I, and I love the house show touring. I think what I love about it is this was the mate music was supposed to be. You know, this was right. <laughs> this is how I was born. It's not like the light show and the dances, mm-hmm. as, as amazing as that is, honestly. <laughs> but music was shared in parlors and bedrooms and lounge rooms and, and has been for, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So for me, last year when I discovered kind of the Art of the House show, I just loved the fact that I got to be an ordinary human being, sitting in a room with ordinary hum- human beings, telling some stories, allowing that just our feelings to all kind of mingle in together and to enjoy a great night, you know, with a, with a, a beer or a glass of wine in hand and just kind of just be human together for a few mm-hmm. hours. Oh, I love that. And it like your music just vibes so well with, with that, that atmosphere and environment. So I really appreciate that. Th- thank you again so much to kind of give us a little bit of insight into some of the, the work that you're doing and uh, to some of the new tunes that, uh, that have already come out and to the ones that will be coming out soon. And then obviously you've got some of the tours uh, later on in the year. So yeah, I, anybody who's listening out there, you definitely want to check out, uh, check out uh, Ben's music. It's just absolutely wonderful. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. Bill can find me everywhere on the Ben Grace Music. It's either Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I like all those things. And I mentioned Patreon as well. Uh, so patreon.com slash Ben Grace Music. My website's a shambles right now, but I'll fix that <laughs> very soon. But Ben Grace Music, wherever you can find me. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you having me on. You, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, that in many ways, Slate Speak is really critiquing sort of traditional church structures. And, but Slate Speak, Slate Speak was founded and, and is supported by the ELCA, correct? Um, I would say that is a very interesting question, Mason. Um, okay. Yeah, so anyway, I, what are I, what... Well, I'm an ELCA pastor. And, okay. Um, I, um, so I'm rostered on the, in the ELCA. The Slate Project is a ministry of the ELCA, and Slate Speak is one of the things that we do. So sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the ways that you think the Slate Project and Slate Speak are helped by being a part of a denominational structure? And, uh, and then the second question is, what are the ways that you think it's hindered? by that, de- that domination or denominational structure? Uh, I'll go with the difficult one first, which is how has it helped? Um, okay. Like that actually the way that you just uh, introduced it that way is, yeah. uh, if you knew my sensibilities, that is just beauty to my ears. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to yeah. be singing now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I, uh, I do have, uh, you know, I, I, I will sing show tunes. I'll do it. Um, so I just think that where we are now, denominations normally get in the way, right? Absolutely. I, Preach I cannot, it. I cannot stand, though, that in the 1990s, disaffected Southern Baptists took <laughs> over the word non-denominational. I swear to God, if I have to hear one more time somebody telling me they go to a non-denominational church, so they're not really denominationally based at all, I'm like, right. bullshit. You're totally a denomination. Absolutely. Like, and then, ugh, because then there's that, it's just sort of like, when you tell me like, oh, I listen to Mercy Me, you know, they're just Christian. They're not any specific kinds. Like, 
the, everybody has they, they they're they're a kind of Christian. Yeah, their theology is very specific. Um, anyways, that's just my I just cannot stand non denom non denoms man. I just yep, can't. I okay. Ugh. like what is the deal? And then they call themselves the Grove or the the Valley Church or something. <laughs> and, and then when I think they do it, then they're just they are um they are not so subtly critiquing us like 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 kind of. I don't know. Just I mean, when I say I'm Lutheran, they're like, "Oh, you're part of the the structure." Like, we, we don't have a structure. We're non-denominational. I'm like, you totally have a structure, right? Yeah, for sure. So all of that is to say, I use the word like post-denominational mm-hmm. or sometimes trans-denominational, um, in terms of like it's really difficult to slate speak is not Lutheran. I bring up the fact that I'm Lutheran. Um, when it connects with whatever I'm talking about. Right. Um, being Lutheran is important because I chose it. I mean, I grew up evangelical. Um, I like the Lutheran theology. I like a lot of the people who came through Lutheranism, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. um, or today, Lema Bowie and, and, uh, and Sierra Leone. Like, I love being Lutheran. And I don't think it's very helpful just in general to try and describe or connect with people through the denominational structure, mm-hmm. you know? I'm just like, dude, this is the Jesus movement, and we're trying our best to follow Jesus. Um, there are different types that do that, but, like, I think it's much more damaging to pretend like um, you have to go through a certain denomination right. in order to, or, you know, whatever your tribe is. I don't think that's helpful at all. Um, uh, so I think that's, so I think the one thing that's helpful for the denominational structure is that I was ordained in the Lutheran church so that that helps me, I think, kind of, I can infiltrate a lot of Lutheran spaces and talk about slate speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right. like, and talk about the online community. So, so there's already a built-in thing because I'm Lutheran and because I can speak that language. Right. You have that credibility. Absolutely. I don't think it really matters at all that I'm Lutheran. Um, and like the larger scheme of things, it just doesn't. Um, and I'm like, and Jesus probably doesn't give a shit about it either. Right. Uh, so I am, so I think it's much easier to talk about how good it is to not be denominationally focused, especially because then it means that people, I think, are much more open about their struggles and their passions within the, the churches that they're a right. part of. Rarely does anybody say, well, I'm assemblies of God. And so this is it, unless they're telling a story about maybe how they grew up or whatever. But it's not like today through Slate Speak, we're like, all right, all the Methodists raise your hand. Or even when we just ha- have people <laughs> say, um, you know, introduce yourself, give your pronouns, give where you're coming from, whatever. Rarely does anybody say their denomination. Right. right? That's just not a thing. Um, Meredith sometimes says she's denominationally promiscuous, which I love that term. Um, I'm all about that. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think we're all. Um, so we, again, it's just, we can't use, because once you start talking this way, then some people are like, oh, you're non-denominational. And then we have to go through that whole thing. Right. So I'm like, no, this is not what I'm talking about. Um, so I think post-denominational is a thing. Yeah. I've heard that a little bit. You touched on a little bit of those hindrances, but lay out the air of grievances. Let's let's hear some more of like, if you if you haven't already yeah. laid them all out. No, I would oh, love to hear some no, more. No, it's not even okay. Um, <laughs> the institution is by its nature is conservative. It's trying right. to conserve itself. Absolutely. So we give, we give, um, we create a whole jargon to keep people out. Mm-hmm. We are exclusive in the way that we worship and the songs that we sing. Um, we make it really, really difficult for anybody to come in and just feel welcomed. Um, even if we want to go up there and shake their hand and welcome them, uh, the, the, the Lutherans, I'll, I'll just speak for the Lutherans. But I know many other denominations are like this too. Um, they have this tribal mentality and they're trying mm-hmm. to up their numbers and we're living in a time and place, our generation, I, I was born in 82, so kind of like at the cusp of millennial right. um, generation, the generation after us that are marching in the streets for gun reform. Um, 
we don't care about denominations. Um, we care about community, mm -hmm. right? And we care about justice and authenticity, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, denominations, by their very nature, I would say, are set up to try and hold on to a piece of the truth without just offering it and saying, like, you know, we're just one aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. I rarely, if ever, hear denominations talk like that. Right. That's very frustrating to me. So, um, and I can speak this way. I mean, I'm, I'm ordained as a Lutheran. So it's like, <laughs> they can't take my ordination away for talking like this. I mean, some, some people want to uh, for different things I've said online, but whatever, right? Like, it's like, like, I think the most Lutheran thing I can do, because Lutherans, we're just, we're so committed to this idea of the Protestant Reformation, right? Mm -hmm. And the two words in there are protest and reform. And, and Martin Luther and all of his guys, they, they gave that whole thing, semper reformanda, the church must always be reforming. Yep. So to be, to be post-denominational and to get rid of the Lutheran church in, in its entirety, in the way that we talk about it, I think is the most Lutheran thing that we could do. <laughs> yeah. So like I talk this way, like when I'm in certain circles and I, and, and when I preach and that's very hard for a lot of people to get because they see themselves as Lutheran first and then Christian as opposed to the other way around. Right. 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 Totally. You're and you're in the midst of it. I mean, you are in the Lutheran cultural mm -hmm. center. And for so, sure. right. Yeah. And it, and it's, I, I'm in a, and, it, and I'm like in a weird place of it too, because here I am in a, in a city that is like the headquarters for like probably like five different denominations, including the ELCA might be the biggest one. Um, and it's very mainline heavy. And then here I am also in a, uh, in a community I work at Solomon's porch, which is very like in that sort yeah, of post-denominational um, sure. kind of expression. And so I'm kind of in this like two piece world where, um, I'm, I'm living and operating within Solomon's porch and kind of the dynamics of that sort of post-denominational expression. And then I also have so much work and so many like colleagues and friends and coworkers or uh, just people that I, I work with who are in uh, some sort of denominational structure. And I'm always having to like navigate between those sensibilities because obviously with their concern of self-preservation will will kind of in a lot of ways seem to push back against much of my concern that uh, a church structure and ecclesiology should never be about self-preservation. Uh, right. In and of itself, it should all, always be in service to the community, which is going to be naturally subversive. And and so I'm 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 kind of in that space where uh, I'm I'm having to work with a lot of people who ha still have that a as a backdrop to their their tradition. Uh, yet I'm like wanting to be really rather subversive to it. Um, yeah. But yet, like they they still have like a lot of similar theology and a lot of similar concerns uh, of passions uh, of justice and compassion and and care for the other. Uh, but yet, like, there's still like this bedrock that they're not going to be able to shake. Uh, that's uh, which is their ecclesiology, which I, I just think yeah. is an ecclesiology that needs to be um, rid of, uh, turned over. Yeah, absolutely. I there are I preach at a lot of different places. I go to worship at a lot of different places. There is rarely a time when I go somewhere where I would invite somebody to that specific worship as like an invitation mm. right mm -hmm. um slate speak is one of the few things i say like you, you should check it out i think it's really i think you like it right but i agree with you and a lot of ecclesiology is stuck in the 1950s 1960s yeah. when christianity was just a different force in our society absolutely a lot of yeah. times a lot of times a very conservative traditional status quo force now absolutely. A lot of Christianity is subversive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's phenomenal. It just means we got to get used to being on the edges. That's where Jesus is.
hope that the uh, ecclesial model of slate speak is maybe the future model of the church? Do you hope that that maybe is like one of the many, or do you hope that that becomes maybe a, like a dominant uh, ecclesial structure? How, what, what are, how do you envision that for, let's say, 50 years from now? Yeah, well, 50 years from now, if I'm still alive, I'll be 85. Okay. So, right? Yeah. So I hope at 85, um, things like Slate Speak are a val are understood and seen as a valid way to encounter the holy. Mm. Um, not the only way. There's never just one way. Right. Um, and anytime we think there's one way, I think that's that's when we get into trouble. So yeah. Um, I would say though that there's a lot of things that that make it that make something like Slate Speak a meaningful experience for people because um, it happens at a certain time of the day. So it can be a rhythm for people mm -hmm. and it happens in a very public way again. So that like we are being, I think the most, one of the most important things we can be, which is kind of that meme that says, you know, like, honestly, all Christians need to do is be Christian and don't be an asshole. <laughs> like that's just what we're going for here. It's a pretty low bar. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we have uh, Tim uh, on, on Twitter. He, he lives in Baltimore, calls himself the neighborhood atheist. Um, and he's a part of the community. Uh, he 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 is an atheist and, and, and has some very, very harsh words for Christianity, which doesn't actually put him out of place at Slate mm -hmm. Speak that yeah. much. Um, but also. Like there are just questions that don't pertain to him. Uh, I, I I go into the Bible a lot. I'm very, I'm very um, impassioned and 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 convicted by the biblical story, the biblical narrative. That's not something he's interested in, in at all. Mm -hmm. um, and yet he still is is there as part of the community. So I think um, to be truly open, um, someplace like Slate Speak, where you can just a lot of people say that they just. Uh, um, what's the word um a lot of people don't engage they just uh um hover not hover uh creep it's 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 a weird mm -hmm. word you know where they're they're not really uh saying anything but they're still following right they're still connecting and um so i would hope that it would be I, I don't think it should be the dominant um i would hope that nothing would be the dominant because i think it's just like injustice work not everybody is called out to the streets Right. Some people are called to uh, to make differences in, in, in the communities in which they live. Uh, and some people are called to amplify others' voices. Um, you know, like what happened on Saturday with the March for Our Lives, uh, we all played a part in that, even mm -hmm. if we weren't out in the streets, you know? Right. So as a good Lutheran, you know of Bonhoeffer's uh, concept of religionless Christianity. Yeah, that's in your Twitter bio. Yeah, I'm all about that. Uh, in what ways do you think that Slate Speak contributes or doesn't to Bonhoeffer's concept of religionless Christianity? Yeah, I think it's definitely in the same, it's in the same realm. It's the same idea, um, especially when it comes down to... Um, we are all trying to, I think everybody who comes to Slate Speak is trying to connect deeply as a human being on this mm -hmm. earth with other human beings and community um, in work that matters with voices that echo. Um, and so I think, I think we are really, I think Slate Speak in, in one way is a great example of Bonhoeffer could never have known it, uh, you know, anything like the internet, but I think it's exactly what he was talking about in terms mm -hmm. of Christianity as a religion is not sustainable. It doesn't speak to people um, in the same way. It's, it's uh, as, as in, like institutions. It's very committed to preserving itself. Right. Religion is. Um, and so I think Slate Speak, 
gets rid of a lot of those trappings and just says, okay, here's Christianity without the religion, mm. you know, right. um, like not spiritual, but not religious. I'm Christian, but not religious. Right? <laughs> I like that. I've never heard it that way. I mean, I've yeah. heard, I've heard others say something along the lines, you know, to be snarky, to that they say that I'm religious, but not spiritual. Right, um, right, 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 right. But I like that, that this idea <laughs> yeah. of I, I'm a Christian, uh, but... I'm not religious. But not religious, I mean, yeah. Even the word religion, right? Religio goes back to like like ligaments. Mm-hmm. So the idea of religion was to like reconnect humanity, mm-hmm. um, which it just oftentimes doesn't do. Mm-hmm. As one of my friends says, it, you know, it's the ties that bind, but usually strangle, right? Yeah. Um, and so just this idea of, you know, we, we, we treat, I and mean, religion just does it as well. And, and I think Jesus would look at it. That's the reason why Jesus was so at odds with religious leaders mm-hmm. is I think because they were religious. Dream. Last question. What are uh, the ways that we can get connected with you and your work uh, and with Slate Speak? Yeah. Um, so Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, and they run for an hour. And uh, you just follow the, the hashtag Slate Speak. Um, uh, that's our main thing. I think that's the thing that I, I encourage people to do right away. Um, you can go to slateproject.org. You can follow us on, on Facebook, The Slate Project. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's our Twitter presence. I think that, that, that is, um, meaningful and it's, it's really trying to carve out a space that allows people to have the opportunity to experience like the holy. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially in a culture and society that, um, it's like one of two options is either you are the religious, which means Generally speaking, it's like um, part of the, well, part of the, uh, the type of Christianity that is currently using every means possible to defend the current president and his regime, mm-hmm. or you're a secular atheist. And I think there's a third way. <laughs> right. Right. So I, so I think that that's what we're trying to do. Um, is offer up a third way um, Mm -hmm. of 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 looking at christianity like a really good friend like a really good friend i'm not going to bullshit with i'm going to say what i mean and i'm going to call them out because i love them right right um i love christianity like i have to tell people sometimes that too like i love the bible i know that like you don't think that i do but like i spend a (laughs) lot of time in the bible and and because I rip on it and because I'm talking, like, it's because I love it. So anyways, uh, yeah, so Slate Speak, um, slateproject.org. And, um, you know, we want to hear your voice. We're, we're, we, we are not complete as a community. Um, we're always just, it's, it's, uh, it's Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was killed on March 24th, 1980. Mm-hmm. So his same day was a couple of days ago. Um, you know, the prayer attributed to him saying that you know we like no program is ever complete no sermon ever says everything mm-hmm. we are planting a garden and we're not we're not going to see the, the 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 fruition of it we're never going to see the full kingdom of god we're just seeing pieces of it and so i think slate speak is a piece of that would you come with me to colorado would you scale the rocky How awesome was that? Jason is so insightful. I really think that he is onto something in the way that he's thinking about the way faith and spirituality is expressed in 2018 America. I really think he's onto something and probably a big reason why I asked him to come on. And how about Ben's music? Ben is just so great and gracious and that Australian accent just, I don't know, it, like anytime I hear uh, an Australian accent, I think of Steve Irwin, but Ben is not Steve Irwin at all. Like his, 
music is like a totally different posture than even Steve Irwin's. You know, Steve Irwin was like all aggressive and jump into an alligator or a crocodile's mouth, and Ben is just like smooth and and like he's what would be like a really like smooth, like tasteful kind of animal that Steve Irwin like would, I don't know like a not a sloth, I don't know, not even a snake. I don't know what Ben what Ben would be in uh, as an Australian animal. Who knows? Who knows what Ben would be that Steve Irwin would jump on and try to corral. Anyway, I'm digressing a ton. Both Ben and Jason's work is online, and you can get connected with them. Again, their links. Uh, to get connected with them are in the description below and again check out my work check out my patreon page if if religionless church really matters to you i would love for your support there's even just like a dollar a month amount and you know that's what a dollar a month that's inconsequential probably i hope so but it makes all the consequence to me it really is important to me so i would love for your support so that has been another episode of religionless church Peace out, y'all. Would you come with me to Colorado? Would you scale the Rocky Mountains high? Would you trust this restless desperado? Would you love me till the seas run dry? Thank you so much.